I wasn't getting a grade, you know, I wasn't good at sports, and so I thought my life was over. And I basically, I, I had a suicide attempt. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. I'm Annie Schumann. And this is a special edition of Failing Forward for Adolescents. And I'm here with Jack Browner, who struggled with addiction. Thanks for having me, Annie. No problem. It's my pleasure. So to start off, tell me a little bit about what your family was like and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up um, on the east side of Cincinnati uh, in High Park. And I come from a great family. I'm the oldest of five. Um, so big and two very loving and supportive uh, parents. The, um, they, you know, they were, they were rocks um, throughout everything in my life and continue to be. And beating an older sibling, the oldest of five, has, again, been a big part of my life. Um, we, we basically, we grew up primarily in Cincinnati, and when I was... 12 years old, moved to Denver, Colorado. Um, and that is kind of a whole story in and of itself. Um, and I was there for four years and then moved back to Cincinnati and ended up at um, St. Xavier High School with uh, a lot of my good friends. Okay, so how did moving around affect you, especially in high school and teenage years? It was tough. Um, it was tough. It, it, was, it was new to me, right? And, and um it was uncomfortable and, it, it, you know, when my parents told us that we were moving, it was, um, it was not an easy night to say the least. There was a lot of things being broken, a lot of mean words being said. Um, and it was, you know, something that we didn't know about and we, we were for sure not okay with. Um, but, you know, regardless, it, uh, we ended up moving and, um, it kind of forced me to get out of my comfort zone, which I think was the whole point from my parents' perspective. Um, I, it required me to make new friends um, and to kind of see the world outside of Cincinnati. And that is when, when I was out in Colorado, it was kind of when I first really started exploring the kind of drug and alcohol scene. Um, I think I smoked weed for the first time when I was... Um, in seventh grade. So I think I was 13. Um, and it was very on and off for, um, for a while until my sophomore year. So about my last year in Colorado, it became a more regular thing for me. It, it wasn't to the point yet where I think, um, it was being used unhealthily, but it, it definitely was, it wasn't good. I guess we can say that. Um, and I, you know, we eventually, the decision came that it was time to move back to Cincinnati. And uh, I, it, it was an interesting time. I felt like I had kind of formed a, a good group of friends in Colorado. And, and then, you know, we decided it was time to move back. And, and I didn't, um, I didn't complain. I, I thought it was going to be a, a pretty seamless move. And it did turn out to be, I came back to Cincinnati jumped right back in with all of my friends um, like I hadn't left. 
and it was a um it, it it ended up being a good thing i would say um yeah it's it's kind of it's weird to think back on kind of that whole experience and you know me saying good or bad i it's hard to judge if it's good or bad it it, it happened and there are you know positive things that came out of it and i at the time i i didn't like what was going on i didn't like myself um but in hindsight, it's a lot easier to see things in hindsight that all of those things, you know, made me who I am and um, allowed me to, you know, have strengths that I have today, you know, like having to make new friends and relate to other people and empathize. Kind of when you look at things at face value and it, it, um, it comes across as, you know, something that you don't want to do, it's, it's, it's hard to see where something positive can come out of it, but um, it did in this instance. Okay, so when you moved to Cincinnati and you got back with your friend group, was anything different? Um, not a lot had changed. My friend group had grown bigger, I would say. I had, and some people, the, the, the actual names changed a little bit, um, but for the most part, it was a similar group. I basically just rolled kind of with the same crowd and we, we, like I said, we kind of picked back up where everything stopped. I was actually extremely surprised and I, I'm, I was grateful and I'm still grateful um, that the move ended up, you know, it ended up happening the way it did. And, and they allowed me back um, to, to kind of be part of their group, their circle. Um, and, you know, it's interesting when I say allowed, allowed me to come back, like, you know, it's this kind of mindset that I have that there's positives and negatives to, um, to going to make new friends and, and, and building new connections. And it's one of the positives is you basically get good at it. You're kind of forced to go out there and, and, and we're a communal society and, and I need that connection with people. Um, one of the negatives, however, is it, it made me, um, whenever I'm with new people or, you know, even old people, old friends, it, it, it kind of, I feel like I need to put up a show a little bit, a reason for them to like me versus, you know, liking me for who I am. So it, that's been a big struggle for me, um, the past, you know, 10 years, basically me just growing up being a, being a kid is like, where do I, where am I being authentic and where am I not? And are these people liking me for, for who I am versus this kind of, this, this fake facade that, uh, that I could be portraying at times? So it sounds to me like you struggled with fitting in and that's what you strive to be. Did that by any chance influence the drugs and feeling peer pressure? Yeah, it, it, it definitely did. Um, I think this idea of me kind of putting up a, um, like an, uh, a facade, something that's fake, um, definitely was a by, well, you know, it, it was probably more, it's probably more of the systemic reasons why drugs came into the picture. Um, I, you know, I was, I was struggling, um, when I was about 17 or 18 and, and why that started happening is, is something that I, I don't know. And, 
I, you know, something I can probably question for the rest of my life. But regardless, I was, I started struggling. I started getting, you know, I was depressed um, for an extended period of time. Um, I, uh, I was having trouble holding my relationships. I, you know, being an older sibling to me is an important part of my life. And I wasn't able to be there for my siblings. It was a rough time. And at this point, drugs, you know, I quickly found that um, drugs could relieve kind of that pain that I was feeling, um, that, that disappointment of like not being able to connect with people and not being able to be a good sibling. And, um, uh, that pain that I had from, from all those kind of things that a lot of them were in my head. Like, I'm sure if you ask my siblings or my friends, they, they, they couldn't tell, but that was, that's kind of what putting up a, a, a face is like, right. People aren't able to, people aren't able to tell what's really going on inside when you're smiling all the time. And the smiling became too hard by itself. So eventually drugs got brought into the picture and, um, marijuana was a, was a big one for me starting out. Um, and slowly harder drugs came into the picture. So how did your family find out about the addictions? So I was working out and, all of my friends, we, we all go, we all went to senior spring break in Pimpicana. And, uh, one of the, the only really time I've, I've been able to, uh, consistently make it to the gym is being motivated by trying to get my, my body ready to make it to the beach with all my friends. But regardless, I was at the gym and I had been basically, this is, this has been about a month of using Xanax. Um, and when I mean using Xanax, my friends, um, knew that I had taken it once or twice. Um, but I, I eventually found somebody that I was able to get my hands on, um, and manipulate and, you know, everything that drug addicts do to give me, um, a larger supply. And I started taking it pretty regularly. Um, I, I don't know if that one, it was daily, but it was, it was, um, pretty close to daily, and I was working out at the gym and I basically, bla- I don't remember, but I blacked out and I had a seizure. Um, and that was one, the first of um, four seizures, but I had a seizure um, and, you know, everybody, it was clearly a big deal at the gym. Uh, they had to call the ambulance when you wake up from a seizure, your body's kind of all over the place. And so I started, I started vomiting. Um, and I had a good friend of mine that was working out with me and he didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. So I ended up going to the hospital. Um, and at this point I, I'm, I'm not telling people, you know, it's just to everybody else. I was just, ha- I just had a seizure. Um, and, and, and we they were trying the doctors were trying to figure it out. Was it, was it epilepsy? Was it something in my, brain and, and it, you know, deep down I knew that it was Xanax and I just didn't, didn't tell anybody. Um, and so I got released from the hospital surprisingly without that coming out. Um, I went back to, I went back to school for about a week, I believe maybe two weeks in between. I'm not sure that how the time period was. And I started for the first time in my life and I kind of I prided myself on being a good student. Um, that was something that was important to me. 
in high school and when my senior year happened, um, my grades started to really take a spiral and that kind of contributed to, to all the reasons why I felt the need to, um, you know, why, why I started using drugs. I basically went to school um, on Xanax and wow. uh, my friend, my friends all knew that, you know, something was wrong. I, some of them probably knew they couldn't put their finger on it. I was slurring my words, something like when you take Xanax and you take it, you know, a lot of it, it, it basically resembles being very drunk. So like I could, I had trouble opening my eyes. I was slurring my words. I couldn't walk straight. And this was after I had just been out of the hospital for a, for a, um, in a seizure that nobody could pinpoint the reason why. Mm-hmm. And my teachers sent me to the nurse and they thought that, you know, I think uh, they thought that I was, you know, having a stroke or there was, they thought that there was some, you know, something really wrong with me. Um, and I'm still not telling anybody, you know, I know what's going on and the nurse is freaking out. My parents are freaking out. The school is freaking out. Um, and I eventually get to the hospital from going straight from school to the hospital. Um, and I, I, pass out somewhere along the way. And I, I, I wake up in a hospital bed to the nurse kind of tapping me and asking me, you know, what's, what's going on? You know, do you have any reason why this is happening? And one thing that (laughs) you'll learn, or I learned at least through my experience as, you know, a liar and a manipulator, which is a byproduct of being, kind of a drug addict is people will ask questions that they know the answer to. They just want to see if you're, and and that's probably the case for everybody, not just, you know, somebody in my position, but parents and teachers, everybody will ask questions where they know the answer to. And, you know, they just want to see if you're telling the truth. So I told her, I didn't know. I told the nurse, I had no idea what was going on. And she goes, well, your system popped up with like, you know, an obscene amount of benzodiazepines. Um, and at that point, you know, the, the jig was up. Uh, there was no line anymore to my parents who were sitting two feet next to me. Um, and there, you know, I, I remember the look on their face for a long time. Um, just kind of shocked, you know, not, not even really knowing how to handle this, not, not knowing what, I don't even know if they knew what benzodiazepines were. They, they knew that something was wrong. Um, and that was really, you know, sadly just the beginning of, of my journey with drug addiction. That didn't, that was, that did not stop. So Jack, what was the lowest point that happened to you? So I talked about, you know, a little bit about when I was in high school and I ended up, um, going to the hospital because of, you know, basically being too too high on Xanax at school and I was slurring my words and I ended up um in the hospital again and this was my second time in the hospital in a matter of you know I think two weeks um and my my family had finally figured out what was wrong everybody around me my friends my family they had finally figured out that I had I mean I had failed I had failed in a very dramatic um and in big way and I 
you know, at that point, my perception of failure was I'm a disappointment. This is, uh, there's no way I will come back from this. I was a lot of negative self-talk and I felt, you know, I eventually got home from the hospital and had a lot of time to kind of be in my head while I was home and not at school. Um, and I, you know, I felt at that time, I felt very backed into a corner. I had no idea kind of how I was going to get back from this. I had no idea how I was going to stand back up from being beaten down, um, beaten down by, by basically this, this kind of drug addiction that I had at the age of 18 at a very young age. And I, I ended up, um, one day, you know, one night deciding that, you know, this is too overwhelming. I couldn't take the, this failure that I had just went through and, and I couldn't take the kind of the, the, the thoughts that I was having about myself. It was, I was in a very, very dark place. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, a lot of horrible things that I was, that I thought about myself and, and that's, what's crazy about it. Like nobody was telling me how you know, horrible of a person I was. This was in my head. And this said, this was in my head because, you know, I had this, this idea of what failure was and, and was, and that it was the ultimate, you know, the ultimate low that because I wasn't, I wasn't getting a grades because people, you know, I wasn't good at sports that this was, you know, my life was over. And so I thought my life was over and I, Basically, I, I had a suicide t- attempt. I I, um, I took a bunch of pills and um, with with the intention to, to end my life. And um, how I kind of made it out of that whole journey is is a miracle in and of itself. But I ended up um, going you know going to the hospital and having to to um, sober up there and then being um, being put into a psychiatric hospital for uh, a short period of time. But that was, um, that was the lowest that I have ever felt. Um, and it was, you know, a pain that I wish I don't wish upon my worst enemy. I, I couldn't wish upon anybody else, you know, feeling like you're not worth living is, is something that you don't want anybody to go through. I'm so sorry to hear about that, Jack. So tell us your sobriety story. It was about a year and three months ago, roughly, um, that I was at Miami, Ohio. I I decided that I was going to try to go to college, live a normal life. um, When I, I really knew that something was not right. I knew that I wasn't normal in a way. Um, and you know, it's not that I'm, um, you know, it's not that people who have problems are, um, you know, they're, they're less than, or they're weak. It's just, you know, people grow, go through life differently. And and if you need to address certain things that other people, you know, don't need, don't need to address, that doesn't make it wrong. In fact, you know, a lot of times it, it makes somebody stronger going through, going through unique things like that. And, and it's an ability, it's a way to help other people. But I was at Miami, um, and I was not able to do school. You know, you go to college with the intent to get a good education and, 
um, meet new friends and, and have a good experience. And I was at Miami with all my friends and, and I was just not, I wasn't enjoying who I was. I wasn't enjoying who the relationships that I was having and I couldn't, I couldn't get away from obsessively using drugs. Um, and I basically called my parents and told them something's wrong. Um, I, I started crying and um, I broke down and I came back home and I, I was at home for a couple of days and started, I, I, you know, this, this, this point that I had reached at Miami was a real emotional bottom. I, um, I was extremely depressed. I couldn't, you know, really function as a normal human being at the point where I was at. I, I was crying constantly. I, you know, I couldn't sleep. It was a lot of horrible things were happening to me. And so I called my parents and told them I need something needs to happen. And, um, I, I need help basically is that are those three magical words is that can, can do so much for people and are so hard to say, um, you know, I need help. And, they, you know, like any amazing parents, they had me, you know, they brought me back home and we kind of readdressed what needed to happen. And I started going to AA meetings there and that was kind of my first real experience to AA. Um, and I'm, you know, forever grateful for being introduced to the community in, in uh, Cincinnati. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a first point where I went to somewhere and I saw, people really for the first time in my life being vulnerable, talking about how they failed in life, talking about how they were sad, talking about, you know, how their lives weren't what they had imagined. And that's something that I wouldn't be caught dead talking about previously. You know, I thought everybody was a success. Everybody was, you know, everybody had, everything was going right in everybody's lives. It was, it was a pretty, unrealistic image that I had in my head that did myself a huge distrust, disjustice. And, um, I, I don't know where that came from, but, it, um, it ended up being squashed by actually going and, and kind of seeing other people be vulnerable. And I grew up in, in a community too, where that was, you know, talking about failure, it's, it, it was not something that, was brought up often. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, whether, whether it's in my family or whether it's, you know, between my friends, it was just, it's in general, just a taboo thing to talk about, I think, which is, which is, you know, not good. Cause it, when, when I failed, um, which my view of failure was, you know, was emotional failure. And, um, I was failing out of school and, you know, failing in a pretty dramatic way. I thought the world was over. I mean, my life was, you know, I thought I was a huge disappointment. I could never come back from this. Everybody hated me. It was, it was a lot of negative self-talk. And that was because I, I didn't realize that other people experienced these type of, you know, hard things happen in their lives. And I thought, you know, I was unique and which is a big thing that I, you know, I were, I've been working on constantly. It's like other people have similar, you know, we all have pretty much the same problems and, I thought that, you know, I was, I was a disappointment and, and nobody wanted to be friends with me and nobody liked me. I feel like as a teenager, that's a big thing for us because we want everyone to like us. We want to fit in. 
you very much want to be part of the community and you want, you know, you want everybody to like you. And, and what's tough too is, um, you know, when I was, when I was young and I was, I'm obviously still young and anybody in their 17s and 20s, you know, we have a big ego. We think kind of, we think our way is the right way. And, and we think we have the answers to everything. And, you know, when I realized my way was failing, when I realized that, you know, what I was doing was causing me to, you know, causing me to have all these negative things happen in my life, I, it was, it was a huge blow to my, to my ego and my self-esteem, something that had been, you know, kids typically, people in their, you know, late teens and early 20s or all 20s typically feel like they, you know, they have big egos. They think they have answers to things and, and that's, you know, that's quite the opposite. Yeah, I feel um, like they don't need help and they're too afraid to ask for help because they think they have it under control, but they don't. And they finally get help when it gets really bad. Yeah, and that's what's, that's what's I think, so so awesome about this podcast. I think, you know, that's something that I've tried to do with my friends now and my siblings in particular. You know, if, uh, if I had to go through this pain to teach, you know, my siblings a lesson, to teach my siblings that they, you know, when stuff starts to get, bad that they can reach out and it's not weird that they have these you know feelings about themselves it's not weird that they're doubting themselves about things it's not weird that they you know are worried about fitting in or worried that people aren't liking them that's that's pretty normal and and for you know a long time I thought that the way I was feeling was unique and thought that I was just you know kind of a, a failure as a person you know that's not the case what did you learn from this? So, you know, I was, like I talked about, I was in a very negative headspace. And, um, you know, I, I thought that the, the fail, failure that I had just, that I had, just had was, was it. I thought that's, you know, once I experienced something like that, you know, that type of failure in my life, that there was, there was no coming back from it. Um, and, you know, I, in hindsight, I can see that that's something, you know, I, I failed in a dramatic way, a, a big way, but, you know, failure is a part of everybody's life. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for growth and it's an opportunity to help other people as well. I think, you know, my failure yeah. and coming back from my failure, uh, you know, hopefully the way I look at it is, is it's, it's provided some sort of guidance for, for my siblings and my loved ones that they don't have to experience, you know, the pain that, that I experience, and, and for them to realize that there's always, there's always help. There's always a way out and they're not alone in their failures. You know, it's, it's such a, such a normal part of life that, you know, people struggle and, and, you know, to, to realize that there's other people that are in that same boat and there's, hell of a lot of people that have come back from those types of situations. It's stories like yours that help others. What do you recommend for the listeners? So I think, you know, failure is a big part of life. And um, I experienced a pretty dramatic failure early on. Um, and, 
it was something that I had to go through. That was my journey to get where I am today. Um, but you know, failure is, is, um, is what life is. And, you know, there's the quote, if, um, if you're, if, if you're not failing, then you're not trying. And if you're not trying, then you're not living. Thank you for coming in, Jack. We really appreciate it. And we are happy to hear your story. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.